This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 279, submission number 216, Street Hawk. Street Hawk aired on ABC from January 4th to May 16th, 1985, for a total of 14 episodes. The first two, of course, are the two-part pilot movie. If you're listening to this on Podbean, enjoy the theme music. If you're listening to this on YouTube, you're about to hear just the Ernie Anderson intro. Sorry. This is Jesse Mock, an ex-motorcycle cop injured in the line of duty. Now a police troubleshooter. He's been recruited for a top-secret government mission to ride Streethawk, an all-terrain attack motorcycle designed to fight urban crime, capable of incredible speeds up to 300 miles an hour, and immense firepower. Only one man, federal agent Norman Tuttle, knows Jesse Mock's true identity. The man, the machine, Streethawk. America is in need of heroes. NBC has Michael Knight and Knight Rider, of course. CBS has Stringfellow Hawk and Airwolf. But ABC has a dotted outline in the shape of Chuck Wagner, where Auto Man used to be. They also had Hardcastle and McCormick at the time. Oh, yeah, because Auto Man's gone now. Auto Man no, is gone, America. No more trips to zippers. Mike, you said no more trips to zippers now. No more trips to zippers. You but, want me to say it in a certain way. I'm not going to say it. Zippers! Enter the creative team of two writers and a producer. The writers, of course, Paul M. Bellis and Robert Wallerstoff, And the producer, Bruce Lansbury. Yes, Angela's brother. Well, they all have a whole lot of pedigrees behind them. They all have all of these projects. I remember seeing Bruce Lansbury for the first time doing The Brady Bunch. He was the, like, vice president of creative affairs for Paramount at the time. So he would also be doing Mission Impossible, The Odd Couple, and Happy Days. So, yes, big name Bruce Lansbury. He develops this format for ABC. And the format is not unlike Knight Rider or Airwolf or any of the other 
hero championing the cause of justice. We have a, a machine. We have a man. The man is chosen to wield the machine and fight crime in the name of something. In the case of Street Hawk, he is fighting crime in the name of the federal government. Because Street Hawk, as you heard Mr. Ernie Anderson say, future Hall of Famer Ernie Anderson say, is an all-terrain attack motorcycle designed to fight urban crime capable of traveling up to 300 miles an hour. It is also the name of the man who wears a really cool black suit with silver trim decides to withstand the awesome power of Street Hawk. So yes, Street Hawk is wearing a suit to withstand the power of Street Hawk. Am I making any sense so far? Yes, I think so. Okay. So, Street Hawk is riding Street Hawk for Street Hawk. That's Operation Street Hawk, set up by federal agents under the purview of Special Agent Norman Tuttle, who is the only one on Earth who knows that Jesse Mock is the Street Hawk. And this is one of the key differences between Street Hawk and other shows that are similar but legally distinct from Street Hawk. You see, Street Hawk is more like a Superman sort of thing. Because nobody knows who Street Hawk is. And nobody else knows that Jesse Mock is Street Hawk. In fact, the Los Angeles Police Department, the LAPD, they consider Street Hawk to be a menace, an embarrassment, and a public relations nightmare. Not knowing that Jesse is actually the street hawk, and he is riding around fighting crime in his off hours while collecting a check from the LAPD so he could eat and pay his rent. Eat and pay his rent? Eat and pay his rent! I want to see rent. The rent is too damn high. Where is the rent is too damn high guy right now? I want to know. I have know. no idea. Well, wherever he is, the rent is too damn high guy. You gave us a memory in politics that we look back on fondly. Okay, so this show, Street Hawk, in which Street Hawk rides Street Hawk for Operation Street Hawk, produced by Limican Templar Productions for Universal Television. Insert the universal television sound here. That would be the one. Thank you. Was originally scheduled for Monday nights at 8 o'clock. They had the bikes. They had the actors. They had the episodes. But there was a problem. And it all dates back to the 84 Olympics. Oh... Yeah, because ABC had the 84 Olympics, and those were mega big for ABC. That oh, was yeah. the year America dominated in the midst of the Soviet boycott in 84. Yeah, and it did not escape notice 
that ABC would use the splendor and the decorum and the spectacle of the Olympics to promote a show called Call to Glory, which promoted a the spectacle of the United States military and military life as we know it. It was basically a career-making moment for Craig T. Nelson. And it did rather well. Almost too well. Because instead of putting Street Hawk on in the fall to lead off the Monday Night lineup, which would of course end with Monday Night Football, they decided to order more episodes of Call to Glory to fill that slot. But that is a story for another episode. Wait, hold on a second. Do you know who was in Call to Glory? Craig T. Nelson, I just said. I know that, but there's someone else who's in it. And you're Here's not going to believe. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Keenan win. Put it on the list. <laughs> okay, so, again, like I said, this is a show for another episode. But because of the success of Call to Glory, which, by the way, was canceled in 1985 as well, after 22 episodes, they decided to extend that into the fall for the whole season. So that relegated Street Hawk to midseason. And it would be ready to fill in a hole left by a canceled series. Guess where they found the hole? Let me guess. Friday night... Yep. It went on Fridays, January 4th, and it was up against... It doesn't even matter what it was up against. It was Friday at 8, and it was pretty bad. But we'll get into that momentarily. Right now, let's talk about the five central characters on Street Hawk. First of all, there's Jesse Mock, the man chosen to ride Street Hawk as... Street Hawk. He is played by Rex Smith, who is this big teen idol from the 70s. In fact, he had a minor hit with You Take My Breath Away. It was good enough to reach the top of the Billboard Hot 100, but it was not good enough to make a career out of it. But it did land him a gig hosting Solid Gold with Marilyn McCoo. Oh, the, lo the lovely Marilyn McCoo. The lovely Marilyn McCoo. And Greg, you're going to love this. Yeah. He plays Daredevil in The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, which we're going to be talking about soonish. Well, no, because we're talking about the return of the Incredible Hulk, because oh. we're going to be talking about the uh, Surfer Thor in The Return of the Incredible Hulk, because oh. it's coming out around the time of Thor Love and Thunder, that episode. Oh, that is correct. Oh. Uh, uh, there were yeah, there were three Incredible Hulk made for movies. Yeah, the return, the trial, and the death of the Incredible Hulk. They were all really good. Just say. Yeah, I haven't seen those in forever. So Yeah. I remember one Sunday afternoon I was watching the return of the Incredible Hulk. And I, um I, and I and I saw Thor and I'm like, what's Mighty Thor doing there? I remember watching them on USA. In fact, I think I saw I'll, you know, I'll save it for the episode. So. Yeah, I'll save it for the episode. Yeah. And if Trial of the Incredible Hulk isn't on the list, it should be. Just saying. Because those three movies are 
golden. You think you know, CG Incredible Hulk ain't got nothing on Lou Ferrigno. So there was Rex Smith as Jesse Mock, a.k.a. Street Hawk. And then you have the bike. The bike was a modified 1984 Honda XR500, which was used basically for road shots and close-ups. For stuff like jumping and wheelies and stuff, they used, and now I'm quoting, stunt bikes. And those stunt bikes were actually modified Honda CR250s. But the XR500, this bike actually is uh, historic. The, the Honda XR500s are actually one of the very first electric start motorcycles. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. But yeah, the modified motorcycle was used for, like, standard shots, close-ups, riding around, that sort of thing. And the CR250s were used for all of the stunt work. And the bike was designed by Andrew Provert. With a series bikes uh, designed by Ron Cobb. Andrew Probert, he's... Uh, done work for Star Trek The Motion Picture and Star Trek The Next Generation. Ron Cobb did work for Dark Star, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Conan the Barbarian, Back to the Future, The Abyss, and uh, a uh, little art house film from 1977, you may have heard of it, called Star Wars. Nope, never heard of it. Never, never heard of it? Okay. No. I just thought I'd, I just thought I'd put that out there. Okay. All right, playing his boss, Jesse's boss, Lieutenant Commander Leo Altabelli, was Richard Venture, who I want to say he's, yeah, he's no longer with us, but he's known mostly as a film actor. He's been in Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood, Missing, Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino, Hoo-ha! 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 Courage Under Fire with Denzel Washington and Meg Ryan. And he was in Law and Order as D.A. Douglas Greer. His last credit was in 2001 in Series 7, The Contenders, which basically satirized the, the reality show genre. Meanwhile, his other boss, Special Agent Norman Tuttle of the Los Federales, was played by Joe Regalbudo. And, of course, you know him as Frank Fontana on Murphy Brown. And, of course, we talked about him in a previous entry, Ace Crawford, Private Eye. This is a far cry from Ace Crawford, Private Eye, let me tell you. And rounding out the cast is Jeannie Wilson, who was not in the pilot, but did play a role in the rest of the series, as Rachel Adams his co-worker at the LAPD. Fun fact, there were a couple of well-known established actors, well, they, were, they weren't well-known or established back when Street Hawk aired, but here in the future that we currently live in right now, they are well-known established actors who read or were considered to play Jesse Mock. Don Johnson and George Clooney. Really? Wow. Yep. 
Universal liked George Clooney, ABC did not, apparently, so. So they went with Rex Smith, who, if you think about it, looks like Jan Michael Vincent and David Hasselhoff had a kid. Don't try and think about the science behind it. And those five are pretty much in every episode, except for the pilot, which we'll talk about right now. Now, the pilot was actually released as a movie, but in you know subsequent releases it is broken up in two parts episodes one and two and it pretty much fleshes out the entire premise of the series there was no overreaching arc there was just the crime of the day there's a man there's a bike there's some really bad dudes put them together and watch the fireworks happen in the first episode Injured motorcycle cop Jesse Mock is chosen to test ride a top-secret government ultra-fast attack motorcycle called Street Hawk and his partner with his creator, Norman Tuttle, to combat urban crime in Los Angeles. Their first assignment is to take down a sadistic drug smuggler, Anthony Credo, who is the reason for Jesse's injury and the death of his partner. Oh, no. We've seen that before. Mm-hmm. Puchinski. Yep. But nobody's coming back as a dog, I'm afraid. Thank God! I want to say playing the said partner was Robert Beltran. He played Marty Walsh. Of course, Robert Beltran, known nowadays as Commander Chakotay on Star Trek Voyager... I'm probably the only one in America who loves Star Trek Voyager. I make no apologies. And also on the cast, we have Lord's Pressman is Thomas Miller. Lord's Pressman from uh, Dookie Hauser. But guys, you'll never guess who played the big bad this week. Oh, who? Playing the role of Anthony Carino. And this would be... A few months before Dr. Emmett Brown, Christopher Lloyd. Great Scott! But also he'd be playing the uh, the Klingon Daddy Krug in Star Trek 3, which means we'll have to play this again from Star Trek 3. Starfleet uh, regulations! That's outrageous! No, 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 no. The John that's Larry- Star Trek 4! Come on, I knew that! That John Larroquette saying, I do not deserve to live. You, help us or die. I do not deserve to live. Fine, I'll kill you later. Well, remember, what Christopher Lloyd did in Star Trek Three led to the events that led to John Shuck saying, Starfleet regulations, that's outrageous. So really, it's Christopher Lloyd's fault we got that line. One thing I want to add about this episode, this was a 90-minute pilot. Yep. So its time slot is a little different than usual, but actually taking a look at uh, this show, there were numerous time slots for this show. And I know Chico talked about look at the competition, which we're going to do in a bit. Good heavens, wherever it went, it was up against competition galore. Even in its planned Monday night at eight slot. I don't even see a Monday on here. Uh, let's just say Street Hawk's slot went to Call to Glory. Episode 2 
a second self. An old friend of Jesse's comes to town and they have fun. But what Jesse doesn't know is that his friend is working for some people who want Street Hawk. Man, the machine, the whole package. They want Street Hawk. And of course, if you had a computerized motorcycle that could, and now I'm quoting, leap tall buildings at a single bound, you'd probably want him to. Play the role of TV commentator, Jim McCrell. We talked about him in Return of the Shaggy Dog. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know who this guy is, I don't know if there's anyone on Earth that can help you. Play the role of Jesse's friend Kevin, Kevin Stark, was a man who was considered for the role of Jesse Bach, some guy named George Clooney. I, I don't know. Wait a minute. Nick's kid? Nick's kid. Chiseled good looks, bullet, and everything. Wow. Wonder what he's doing nowadays. I bet he's not married to someone beautiful, I bet. No, but he's probably married to somebody incredibly powerful. I, I think that's actually the answer to the original question. What's he doing right now? A beautiful woman. Good night, everybody. <laughs> he was the producer's choice to play Jesse Mock. The producers loved them. ABC, not so much. Episode three, The Adjuster. A tough New York City cop is assigned to extradite a small-time embezzler that was captured by Street Hawk, but his brutal behavior is too much for Jesse to tolerate, which makes him suspect that the New York cop isn't what he seems to be. Uh-oh. 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 We have a really big, well, kind of sort of big name in this episode. Playing the role of Joseph Cannon, Marjo Gortner. And if you watched Earthquake, you know exactly who Marjo Gortner is. He was the little wimp who joins the National Guard after the earthquake and then went crazy. Anybody? He was somebody back in the 70s. Unfortunately, his name sort of you know, flickered out in the 80s. Yeah, well, I think after the 57th episode of Hotel, you pretty much was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. This episode also had Bernard White, who is more of a director than anything, playing a lead role as Bobby. Of course, he would be Bernie White. This was before Bernard White was Bernard White. If the name doesn't sound familiar, at least his face should. He played Ramakandra in The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. And he also played Councilman Singh in Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Wow. Yeah. He was also on 14 episodes of Silicon Valley. Look it up. Ooh, Silicon Valley. He was also in two episodes of Day 2 of 24. And you know what that means. 
No, 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 no. We're going to wait till later, guys. Save it. Yes, save it. Okay. I'm going to save it. Episode four. Vegas run. Jesse and Norman protect a beautiful Las Vegas showgirl who must get to a courthouse to testify against her mobster boyfriend, but she'll need every weapon at Street Hawk's disposal to make it there alive and in time. That's right, Saved by the Bell wedding in Las Vegas ripped off Street Hawk. But you know who the mobster boyfriend I bet is? Who do you think it is? That bastard Charles Logan! <laughs> Nailed it! That's why we said, wait. But also, again, since I think now every time we mention that bastard Charles Logan, we have to remind our home audience, he broke a guy's kneecap on few. For years, the wily ruler of Taiwan was Chung Coyote. Kaishik! Charge! Little six, five hundred! Six, five hundred! Harrison campaigned with a slogan, Tippy Canoe, and you'll get wet. And Tonto! Now, now listen, what you didn't see in that scene is the fact that our winner, Mr. Stephen Matthews, dislocated his knee in one of those titanic jumps for joy, and we had to have him carted off to the hospital right in the middle of the show. He's making his case for the Hall of Fame, Gregory Itson. Oh, I think he's already in it. I, th I think he's got an automatic nod. Should we just year. make him a headliner in the next class? He's a headliner in the next class. Him and Ernie Anderson, headliners in the next class. All right, then I have to get to work on that. All right. But hey, we do have a name. I'm going to presume this is the showgirl. Mm-hmm. Because she's a very beautiful lady. And she's been uh, all over the place the last uh, probably about 40 years or so. Sybil Danning. She definitely looks like a showgirl. In fact, if you look on her IMDb page, she is on the cover of the August 1983 issue of Playboy. There's also an article about Ted Turner raging out of control and uh, Tim Hutton, the trials of a teenage hero. When you said Ted Turner was raging out of control, I thought you were going to talk about how he thought he was Captain Planet. Now, I thought for a second Greg was going to do the Nugenics thing. Like, oh, no, no, we don't need the Nugenics because Sybil Danning's on the cover. But after hearing about Ted Turner, yeah, we may need the Nugenics to get the old uh, thingy thingy going. Good boner killer there, Chico. All right. Uh, okay, fun fact about this episode. The ending was filmed where, you know, after the court scene, was filmed on the Universal Studios Courthouse Square set, which was used, are you ready, as the Courthouse Square in Back to the Future. Oh, <laughs> the courthouse where Doc gets electrocuted at 10.04 p.m. on November 12, 1955, enabling Marty McFly to get back to the future. Oh, that is so terrific. Oh, yep. my goodness. Wasn't the Hill Valley Town Square also used in Gremlins, if I'm not mistaken? I'm not mistaken, yeah. Yeah, it played uh, the role of Kingston Falls in um, Gremlins. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that town square has had a lot of history. 
Episode 5. Dog Eat Dog. Jesse is said to ask Sigur if she will do a PSA for the department. When he sees her, she tells him she doesn't like cops. Later, her boyfriend slash manager takes her away. Jesse has a funny feeling about him, so he follows them. When he arrives at her home, some men are there. He gives her a videotape and tells her to hold on to it. Jesse arrives and she goes on the run. With help from Norman, they find out she was close to a musical legend and they go to see him and she's there. Remember, kids, Norman Tuttle, not only the creator of Street Hawk, he's also, Greg, the guy in the chair. Oh, I thought you were going to say he's not only the creator of Street Hawk, he also invented the hair club for men. No. But I understand where you would make that mistake. Because Cy Sperling is not only the creator of Hair Club for Men, he's also a client. Yep. Later, the men who killed her manager tries to grab her, but they grab her friend instead. Jesse asks her what's going on. She gives him the tape and they watch it. It shows a murder, but unfortunately the man's face is not clear, so there's nothing they can do. She then leaves because she saw something but doesn't tell them what she saw. Jesse then takes the tape to Norman to see if he can do something with it, and they learn who the killer is and his victim. Murder, lies, videotapes, and rock and roll. It all comes to a head in this episode. Also in this episode, playing Deborah Shane, who I imagine is the singer, someone we talked about on this podcast, Daphne Ashbrook. You know who Daphne Ashbrook is, right? Yeah, she was in the Doctor Who 1996 TV movie. Paul McGann got a big smooch with her. I remember that. Oh, but yes. Also in this episode, playing Neil Jacobs is James Whitmore Jr., who is known for Baba Black Sheep, Hunter, Tequila and Bonetti, and The Good Wife. I cannot wait for the Tequila and Bonetti episode, just saying. Oh, yeah, that'll give us an excuse to talk about Terry Funk again, since he was on Tequila and Benetti. He was on Tequila and Benetti. Yep. And uh, a couple more names of this episode are Kai Wolf, who played the character Bingham. You don't know his name, but you've definitely heard his voice, especially if you're a fan of the Call of Duty series. He also played in Tomb Raider, the 2013 release. Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb, Medal of Honor Allied Assault, Power Rangers Time Force Quantum Ranger Clash for Control, and played Nazi number three on an episode of The X-Files. Nazi number three, not Nazi number one, not Nazi number two, Nazi number three. Imagine the Juan situation, but with Nazis. One, 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 two, and one, three. Also on this episode, playing the role of Virgil Powell, is Lee Bing. If you're a fan of Clue, the movie... Oh, know... yes! Yes, he was Mr. Body in Clue! Mm-hmm. He was also Johnny C in Flashdance, and on the soundtracks to Repo Man and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. 
Yeah, because he was in the uh, group Fear, if I'm not mistaken, which mm-hmm. was John Belushi's favorite band. One yes. fact. Oh, hold on a second. Chico, I got to be honest. When you said Virgil Power, you know what I thought was going to be playing the role of Virgil Power? Oh, God. Who? Virgil. Okay. <laughs> okay, moving on to the next episode. Predictable, but still funny. Predictable, but also still funny. Episode six, Fire on the Wing. The warehouse district is targeted by an arsonist who has never seen or leaves clues. At the same time, Rachel is offered a job by one of the rich warehouse owners, putting her life in danger. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's what I was waiting for. Some of the lead guest stars, uh, as Peter Rager, we have Earl Bowen. Earl Bowen, of course, known for starring with Arnold Schwarzenegger as Dr. Dr. Silverman. Yeah, Dr. Silverman. In in, the Terminator movies. In in the three good Terminator movies, I should say. Terminator 3, not so much. Terminator was good. Terminator 2 was really good. Terminator 3 was just okay. But I could go the rest of my life not seeing the next three. Oh, no. Especially not Terminator Genesis. F that. But we did talk about Earl Bowen because he was in Second Chance 1987 slash Boys Will Be Boys as the um, boss of Matthew Perry's character, Mm -hmm. Chaz. Yep. Wonder if he ever ran into St. Peter. I wonder indeed. And another guest we have on this episode, Clue Gulager. We talked about him in the Master episode. So, yeah. Known entity. And also in this episode, playing the role of Eddie Watson is Jerry Burns. AKA. Oh, yes! That Jerry Burns from Something So Right. Well, beyond that, he was also on uh, Dear John. Yeah, Dear and John. He, and he was uh, Angie Tribeca's boss and Angie Tribeca, one of the really good shows of the last 10 years that. Uh, Sadly, TBS fumbled around with. Yeah, but we did mm-hmm. talk about him in the last precinct. Yeah, and, and the, actually, and the cool kids. Yeah, and actually, this is a very early role for him. Oh. Yeah, taking a look at IMDb, this appears to be his fourth role. Yeah, he was in uh, two episodes of Hill Street Blues, one episode of The Psychiatrist, whatever that is. It says it's a pilot. Okay, and uh, an ABC after-school special. But then he would go on to play on one episode of Riptide, and that's when his career took a turn for the better. That's right. All it had to take was Tom Bray, and your career would be better. Tom Bray and his magic robot. Hey, Greg. Yeah, you told me. Decades (laughs) now as Riptide. No, 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 no. It's, it's not decades has riptide. Two weeks from now, ta- yeah. talking about the uh, 25th and 26th of June, it's a uh, weekend binge of riptide. And actually, right now, I'm looking on uh, decades' schedule to see if that episode is going to be one of them because I know you're going to want a copy of it. Oh, good. This is going to be the excuse I have to get a subscription to Friendly TV so I can watch decades. It's my 
cable carrier does not have it. Oh, mm, mm, mm. guess what, Greg? What? 5 a.m. on Sunday, the 26th, the episode with Jerry Burns is going to air. Yay! 5 a.m., baby. I'm going to stay up all night on my computer screen waiting for that episode. Nice. One other person appearing on this episode. This may be even bigger than Jerry Burns and all the other names you've mentioned, and you're overlooking him. Okay. Playing Morgan Hartman on this episode was Ty Gandrews. He was like the the leader of the Mod Squad. Oh, okay. The Mod uh, Squad. Yeah. He was the guy in the chair on the Mod Squad. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, that's the best way of phrasing it. Uh, yeah. He helped yeah. Clarence Williams III and Peggy Lipton on the Mod Squad. Right. But also, I mention him because... Sit down, guys. You're going to love it. What? He was a celebrity on Beat the Clock in 1979. Wow! <laughs> he also was on Celebrity Bowling a couple of times. Yep. Uh, Oh, he was also in one episode of Misfits of Science, which we talked about already. Yes, we did. Yeah, don't overlook Ty Andrews. I'm not gonna look. Uh, I'm sorry if Ty Andrews is listening. Like he's, it, he's, he's 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 almost, dead. Wait, if Ty Andrews is he, in this room, spying no, on me. he's he's Chico. I know. He's been I was, dead for 16 years. He's not I listening. I was making a reference. I talk to, to that guy all the time, guys. <laughs> Johnny, what are you doing here? It's the ghost of Johnny Olsen, ladies and gentlemen. Johnny, just can you please get out of my house? <laughs> jeez. Okay. Episode. Oh, jeez. How do I? How do I follow that up? Episode. You don't. You, don't, you just end the show. No. <laughs> Episode 7, Chinatown Memories. An old girlfriend of Jesse's asks for his help when her present boyfriend steals a sacred statue called the Ivory Emperor from a Chinese gang called the Tong, which places his secret identity as Street Hawk in Jeopardy. Not the good Jeopardy with Ken Jennings. We're talking about the bad Jeopardy with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I went there. No, no, the bad Jeopardy with Dr. Oz. And I went there. I guarantee you John Fetterman was not a fan of that week with Dr. Oz, let me tell you. No. No, he wasn't. But, yeah, we have a whole a whole lot of talent on this episode. Uh, playing the uh, aforementioned uh, former girlfriend, Lily, Sheila McLeod, who was in a lot of British shows, actually, and an episode of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And then we have, oh God, guys, we have a person who was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and a person who was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. In Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, we have James Saito, who plays Joe Ching. He actually played the Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, so we see him when he takes the mask off. Yes. He's the guy who takes the mask off in the... 1990 TMNT movie. Yeah, but it was not his voice, which I don't get, but whatever. But nowadays you can see him in the new cult classic movie, Always Be My Maybe, with Ali Wong in it. What? 
It's a good movie. I like it. I, I've never heard of that movie until just now, so. Okay. And playing the role of Mr. Chen, Sab Shimono, who was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 as Lord Norinaga. He was the number two baddie, right, in that movie? Yes. Okay. I haven't seen Ninja Turtles 3 in forever. So, it was not good. No, it was not. Oh, the turtle suits in that movie sucked. Oh, yes, they did. I was like, yeah, you didn't think the turtle suits... After that movie, you didn't think the turtle suits would get any worse. And then Saban comes in in 1997 and says, hold my sake. Oh, we'll be talking about that eventually one day. He's known as a voice actor nowadays. He was in Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters, Samurai Jack, and the 2012 TMNT series as Mr. Murakami. No doubt a uh, nod to the original producers, Murakami Wolf Swenson. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And as the Tong family boss, we have Aki Aliong, who was in a whole lot of... Uh, it reads like a laundry list of B-movies that went straight to video, where he played that Asian guy from that thing. But he was in an episode as a restaurant manager of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And he was in an episode of Beyond Belief Factor Fiction. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, he was a tribal chief in the story Tribal Curse. What a stretch. He played a tribal chief in something called Tribal Curse. Big stretch, huh? But the biggest name of all, Key Luke as Mr. Ming. That, of course, Key Luke died in 1991, but this guy was legendary. Legendary. He played the grandfather in Gremlins. You know, Mr. Wing. Oh, yes, Mr. Wing. Yeah, Mr. Wing, who gave Billy's dad that mogwai of gizmo. Yep. Oh, my God. Boy, he sure suckered him. Yep, and he was in all 23 episodes of Sidekicks from 1986. With uh, with Ernie Reyes Jr. And Gil Gerard, yeah. And speaking of TMNT, we all know Ernie Reyes Jr. was in the second Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, so we've covered all three of them. Yep. He was also in the first TMNT's movie as the Donatello stunt double. That's right. Oh, and let's not forget, Ernie Reyes Jr. was in Surf Ninjas. Yes, he was. And, and, The Last Dragon. The Last Dragon 2. But also, hey, Ernie Reyes Jr. was recently in Superstore. Nice. Yeah, I remember seeing him on Superstore and being like, oh, it's Ernie Reyes Jr. I'm surprised you're here, but okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, playing a shopper in Superstore is the new playing a collar on Frasier. Of course, right, that, that joke would have made sense five years ago. Episode 8. 
the unsinkable 453. The wife of a supposed foreign leader has a soldier of fortune broken out of jail so that he can help her remove $20 million from a ship. Meanwhile, Rachel formulates a psychological profile on Street Hawk in the hopes of identifying him. That's not gonna work! Yeah, how's that working out for you? Oh, play the role of Simone Prevera. Bianca Jagger. Would that be Mick's wife? That would be Mick's wife. And that would be the same person who broke the Soldier of Fortune out of jail in the first place. She looks like she's trouble. Yeah, she's big trouble. Episode 9. Hot Target. Norman reluctantly makes contact with an old flame when he and Jesse discover that her research lab is involved in the development and black market sale of powerful attack laser weaponry. Uh-oh. 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 Oh, but wait till you find out who plays the said old flame. Joanna Kearns. She plays Mona Williams in this episode. This, of course, would be either the same year or six months to a year before landing the role of Maggie Seaver on Growing Pains. Yeah, it'd be like, what, seven months, six months, eight months? Because that would have been probably September, fall of 1985. Yep, and this episode aired on March of 1985, so yeah, six months. And play the role of John Slade in this episode. John Slade, huh? John Slade. Some guy named Charles Napier. You may have heard of him. We talked about him on this show. He played Duke Phillips. Vote for Duke. Vote for Duke. What have I told you about putting political ads in this show? We support Duke Phillips. That's not a political ad. That's just a cold, hard truth. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, and he was, uh, oh, God. Obvious joke coming. Obvious joke coming. He He played the role of Sheriff Bates in a 2006 episode. Obvious joke coming. Of Monk. Wait, wait, I I heard Alan. Yeah, dumbass, I'm here. (laughs) Why did you notice I was here? Oh, wait, 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 what did you just say, Chico? I said he played a sheriff on a 2006 episode of Monk. Oh, hey, did you know that Greg loves wings? Oh, yeah, he may have mentioned it once or twice. Hey, Greg, did you know that Tony (laughs) Shalhoub was on... Wigs? Yeah, and I did what it made his career. Yeah! <laughs> Everyone knows that. Oh, gosh. Oh, I called because Joanna was on this show, guys. Yes, so she was. You... Yes, she was on this show. She so played whenever... show. Yeah, so whenever Joanna's mentioned, I have to call in. Ah. Yeah, she played the uh, role of uh, Norman Tuttle's old girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, the former meets the currents. Isn't that awkward? I know. Okay, well, it's nice seeing you again. 
yeah, it is. Oh, uh, I'll see you later. But, oh, but always remember, Wigs made Tony Shalhoub's career. I know, Alan. I, I, it's, there's no doubt it made Tony Shalhoub's career. It's so great that I'm being able to talk to you for the first time in a while, Alan, since I'm usually never here when you're here. I know. Isn't that weird? I know. Well, I'll see you later, Alan. Okay. Hey, Alan. <laughs> hey, yeah. Wimmy, what are you doing? I'm saying hi from 1985. Bye-bye. Oh, okay. yeah. Press your luck and growing pains were on at the same time. Yeah, they were. They were. Why wasn't there like a, a whammy of me? I don't understand. I've got no idea. Well, I can't really impersonate your voice there, Alan. It doesn't sound too good coming from a whammy. That must be the old whammy. Anyway, episode okay, 10. bye-bye. Hooray, bye. Man, guys, I can't believe me and Alan were here at the same time. I can't believe it. Can't believe it? Yeah. No. You, you two were just, I, you know, you, you two I were going to bump into each other sooner or later. I, I just can't believe I didn't spit out all the water I was trying to drink at that time. Episode 10. Murder is a novel idea. A 20-year-old cold case is reopened by an author that knows Jesse but her investigations bring her face-to-face with a group of murderers intent on keeping the truth behind the murder case a secret. It's a true crime episode! Playing the role of Stephanie Craig, the author of that book, Belinda Montgomery. Hey, this is our second Doogie Howser MD reference of this show. She was also Grandma Flynn in Tron Legacy. Not the only name in this episode, though. Not the only name in this episode by a long no, shot. No, because playing himself in this episode is Steve Edwards. Yep. Where where you might know him from, he has been a morning show host or a news show host uh, in Los Angeles for seemingly ever, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, best known for Good Day LA. And if you remember watching The Soup back probably 15 years ago, 10 years ago, footage of him used to be on the soup all the time because he was sort of a, uh, I don't want to say an ornery old man, but I'm going to say ornery old man. He was an ornery old man, yes. But where you might know him from, he hosted a pilot to a show very similar to like Go back in the late 70s called Get Rich Quick. But also... He hosted a pilot for a syndicated version of Scrabble back in 1990. Mm-hmm. That's right, he did. Yeah, he sure did. Episode 11. The Arabian. Wait for it. Extortionist attempts to collect millions of dollars in insurance on a thoroughbred horse. Horse! At the same time, a beautiful but cocky private detective complicates Jesse's police work with the kidnapped horse. And we talked about one of the names a said actress on this show before. B.B. Besh. We talked about her. Yeah, we talked about her in the famous Teddy Z, but probably most famous among nerds because she was uh, Dr. Carol Marcus, of course, in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Come. Oh, and also something that I just found out. She's the mother 
of Samantha Mathis. What? Yes. Well, that explains why Samantha Mathis is so ravishing. Yes. Samantha Mathis is a very attractive woman, just saying. And for those who don't know who Samantha Mathis is, go watch the 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie. Yep. She plays Princess Daisy. For my money, the only reason to watch the Super Mario Brothers 1993 movie. Yeah, by, by the way, the gaming historian has a really good video on YouTube about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Even though Fisher Stevens is in it, and I love Fisher Stevens, no. Episode 12. Female of the Species. Altabelli and an FBI security specialist clash over methods for the safety and protection of the son of one of America's richest families. Meanwhile, a magazine writer tries to use Jesse to get close to the protected celebrity son. And the FBI security specialist, Inspector Frank Menlo, was played by... Dennis Franz. I'm surprised he didn't show his ass on this episode. Give him 10 years. A couple more names in this episode are playing the role of Melanie Ryan and Turkle, who would be known for another installment of Beyond Belief Factor Fiction. Actually, she was in... No, she was just in one. Sorry. But she also played on the pilot of Silk Stockings. She was Roxanne Duckweiler, a.k.a. Roxy the Doxy. Boing! That's eugenics! But yeah, she spent a lot of her career playing a beautiful yet shady individual. She actually played a judge on an episode of Night Court. And playing the role of Philip Truman is Mark Alimo, who, of course, would go on to star in Total Recall, Naked Gun 33 and a Third, Tango and Cash, and, as Greg, Gold Ducat on 35 episodes of Deep Space Nine. Oh, what a heel he was. He was indeed heelish. And finally, episode 13, follow the yellow gold road. Street Hawk must deal with overzealous vigilantes protecting their neighborhood, a team of gold thieves, and power getting cut off his access to command centers, computers, and Norman's ability to help. A lot of names in this episode. Uh, We have uh, Catherine Parks as Simpkins' daughter, Catherine Parks, of course, from Friday the 13th, Part 3, and Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, Bur- Weekend at Bernie's. Weekend at Bernie's. Hold on, let me just see who she played in Weekend I, at Bernie's. I can tell you who she played at Weekend Who'd at Who she Bernie's. play in Weekend at Bernie's? She played Tina, Vito's girl. Oh, that's right, she was Vito's girl in Weekend at Bernie's, yeah! And we actually talked about her before on this podcast, or... We should talk to. I don't. We we haven't talked about her on this podcast, but we might be able to in the future. She played Senora Anita in Zorro and Son. Oh, Zorro I, and Son. I get Zorro and Son, and when things were rotten, confused. 
Don't even know why. Playing the role of Joey, Bert Rosario. We talked about him on uh, previous entry, a.k.a. Pablo. He played Manuel Rivera. And then we have playing the role of Dumos, John Apria, who you would probably remember from roles in as young Tessio in The Godfather Part 2. Rear Admiral Glick in The Manchurian Candidate from 2004, and Don Armateo from New Jack City. He also played Grandpa Nick on both Full House and Fuller House. That would be Grandpa Nick Katsopoulos, Jesse's daddy. Why did he warn her to stay away from Becky? Hey, one more name. Playing Pug in this episode? Don Swayze. Patrick's brother. Oh. Look at it. If you look at him, if you look at him, he looks exactly like Patrick Swayze. He does look like Patrick Swayze. Actually, his second acting role, believe it or not. And that's pretty much the show. I mean, it lasted as long as it could, given that it was a mid-season holdover that should have been premiering in that fall instead of mid-season. It only lasted the 13 shows, but overseas it had had a bit of a legacy overseas. It had novels released. They recut the pilot and released it on video in Canada. In India, they actually repainted G.I. Joe figures and marketed it as Street Hawk. It's one of those shows that had a larger life overseas than it did in the U.S. I mean, I think Auto Man, if you remember that. Auto Man didn't last long in the U.S., but it blew up overseas. Europeans love their zippers. They do love their zippers. That's for earlier, Greg, when I didn't want to do it. Good that you finally did it. The Street Hawk toys and model kits were, well, they had toys released in the U.S., but they were really, really rare. But overseas, they marketed the hell out of this show. They had uh, toys in Brazil, Korea, the U.K., and India, where, like I said, they did a repaint of Snake Eyes and marketed it as Street Hawk with a similar-looking but not necessarily true to the TV show accurate Street Hawk. But I did manage to find something. So, uh, yeah, can we play the music, please? Because it's time for eBay Prices Right, people! This is the actual uh, released mega rare version of Street Hawk. Now, it was not marketed as a connection to a TV show, but if you open the box and you look at the actual molds, they do have a 1984 Universal Studios little bit of flash there it has hyper thrust speed real cycle sound 
does wheelies can jump and it comes with its own street hawk jesse mock figure no batteries required wow no batteries required just wind it up and let the fun begin all right mike what am i bidding does it say where this item is located it is ships from the united states but it wasn't released in the United States. No, it's mega rare in the United States. Oh, okay. All right. Boy, that box is beat up. Um, I'm going to say, oh, boy. Don't say anything. $69.99. Nice. I said don't say anything. Can't help it. Greg? Hold on. Hold on. Cue it. Okay. Mm-hmm. One dollar, Bob. (laughs) All right. Well, the actual buy it now price for this Street Hawk motorcycle. You guys were way off. $290. What? It it was super rare. Yeah, the box looks like it's gone in, but it was super rare. I wouldn't well, pay anything for that. Okay. But you know what? For substantially less than the price it costs to buy that motorcycle, you can have all 14 episodes of Street Hawk because in 2010, Shout Factory released all 14 episodes on DVD with a featurette, The Making of a Legend, and the unaired pilot featuring a different Street Hawk with different capabilities. But of course, if you like to stream stuff and you don't really care much for holding things in the palm of your hand, you can watch all 14 episodes for 99 cents an episode on Amazon Prime Video. Okay, as we mentioned earlier, the competition, no matter where this show ended up, it was going up against good shows on the other networks. We mentioned it originally started on Friday nights, and it looks like it aired on Friday nights for most of the episodes uh, in January through March of 1985. And it aired uh, the first week. uh, Again, as we said earlier, it was an hour and a half pilot from 8.30 to 10 p.m. It aired against, and this is the, the, the decent competition on NBC. V from 8 to 9 and Hunter from 9 to 10. But on CBS, what was airing at 8 p.m. on Friday nights in the early to mid-80s? At 8 p.m., them Dukes. And what was airing at 9 p.m. on CBS? Yeah, is Dukes of Hazard in Dallas. You're not winning there. Nope. And as I said, later in the run, uh, it looks like there was a little bit of, a, I don't want to say a hiatus, but they're possibly showing reruns or it just took a little time off and returned in early May of 1985 when it moved to Thursday nights. I don't even think I need to mention what aired Thursday nights on NBC. Well, what time did uh, Street Hawk air on Thursdays? 8 p.m. Never mind. Good night, everybody. That's all you need to know. 
Good yeah. night, everyone. In, in yeah. other words, maybe the two biggest shows on TV at that point, The Cosby Show and Family Ties. But then even CBS, Thursday nights at 8 p.m., Magnum P.I. So again, wherever it ended, it always had good competition from the other networks. It was dead in the water. You can buy a place for this show. It probably had a better shot if ABC decided to rest Call to Glory and put Street Hawk on Mondays. But nope. I think six of one, half dozen of the other, honestly. Hmm. But also taking a look at the ratings, the first week, it did okay. It was ranked 23rd in the ratings. But still, that's about top third. That's pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh-huh. respectable. Respectable. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you want to know uh, what happened to it by the final episode? Oh, do it- I? Oh, do you? It was one of the bottom five series that week. 65th. I... 65th out of 69. Oh, nice. Yeah, not there's nice. that no, 69. Nice. There's, well, there's that 69 again. Yeah, that's why yeah. I said nice. But actually, it's kind of interesting. Uh, 69th was uh, Silver Spoons, and 68th was Punky Brewster. Yeah, well, it makes sense. They were like seven to eight. Right, right. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But it's just interesting. Those are two sort of beloved shows uh, from back in the early to mid-80s. Well, the show did have a little bit of a life after its original run. Really? Yeah. Uh, reruns of Street Hawk appeared on WOR, the old superstation, WOR. And it aired on the USA Network in the early 90s. Actually, it aired quite a while because I'm taking a look here. I see listings for Street Hawk on USA, uh, actually in prime time, believe it or not, 9 p.m. on a Wednesday. In July of 1988. So it had a primetime slot on USA in 1988, but it looks like it moved to like a weekend slot come early 90s, 1990, 1991. So it did have a little bit of a life on cable. Had a little bit of a life on cable, and it had a little bit of life internationally. In fact, books, toys... Did we mention the video game for the ZX Spectrum? No, you didn't. There was a video game for the Spectrum? The ZX Spectrum, yep. Ocean made a Street Hawk video game for the ZX Spectrum. But it wasn't wasn't really good. It was just, hey, we have the license to make a Street Hawk video game. What do we do with it? Make the stupid game! Okay, but for all the things going for it, it couldn't compete with the likes of Knight Rider, Airwolf, and like Auto Man before it. It just became a thing on TV. But that theme song, though, that hits. That theme song hits. But you know what else hits? Our website. It was a thing on TV.com. We have over 350 episodes of content. We're talking about episodes, mini-sodes, live watches. 
we have the recent uh it was a thing presents where Greg was driving and recording at the same time, hands free, I should say. Yeah, thank an MP3 recorder app for me being able to do this podcast solo. Thank you, MP3 recorder app. And thank you for having your hands at 10 and 2 on the wheel, Greg. Yes. I made very careful use of my hands on the wheel while I was recording. So that's very good. I was praising you. That's very good. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And by the way, my car wash was fantastic. I bet it was. But yeah, Greg is talking about uh, a lot of everything that's streaming over the summer. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, which uh, Greg and I still have to do a live watch sometime. Uh, Stranger Things 4. Did you talk about Miss Marvel? I want to say you talked about Miss Marvel. No, I did not, because that hadn't premiered yet. Okay. Well, I'll tell you right now, Miss Marvel's pretty good. If you played the Avengers game on PS4... It's almost like that. Well, I think the, the origin story is a little different, though, in the uh, Just a series. little different, yeah. Yeah, because she's not an inhuman in the uh, series. Mm-mm. So there's all that. And then, of course, there's our friends at Place to Be Nation. And this week, I want to say we have Poison Ivy trailing. And leading off is... It is What a Country. What the... a Country! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so bad. Uh, I think yeah. Chico already was trying to forget about it. I, yeah. I can't not forget Poison Ivy. That was just a whole other level. But yeah, don't forget, we are on all social media at It Was A Thing On TV. Or if you're on Facebook, we are at It Was A Thing On TV Podcast. Because Norman Tuttle was not the man in the chair at Facebook. And also, we're on the YouTube. Don't forget... Like our videos, subscribe to our channel, hit the notification bell to stay up to date with all of our future entries, like the one we have for release on Thursday. Oh god, we were waiting all year for this one. We have people imprisoned by a tribunal for a crime they didn't commit. Except it's not the A-team, and they pretty much did commit this crime. And we're going to see how a bunch of women make the best of things while they're in prison. It's Orange is the New Black, but 20 years early. Next time. like 30 years early, silly. No, Orange is the New Black was in 2007, right? No, it was in the 20... They didn't, Netflix didn't start streaming in 2007. What universe are you living in? My math was completely wrong. It's 35 years. My mistake. It's 25 years. My mistake. Okay. Good heavens, Chico. Buy a calculator. <laughs> All right. It's Orange is the New Black. Some 25 or 30 years early. Next time. Right here on It Was A Thing On TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you for listening. Please be kind to each other. And we will see you for the next one. Wow! I guess you'll find something. I I, I don't know. I'll think of something, God. No, I I think this may be the ending. We just have nothing. Hold on! Wow! Street Hawk. Now we have something.
Hey guys remember the original gimmick of the RAR was Greg did the RAR and then said the title of the show as a tribute to Manimal? I know pretty sad right?